Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories, bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show, powered by Sports Interaction. Want to bet? What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. This is one of those moments where I peel back the curtain a little bit and talk about the fact that, uh, you know, we record these uh, in the morning to start off uh, our week. And I'm not going to lie, after we finish recording, which, of course, uh, by the time this episode gets out to everyone, maybe it'll be done. Maybe it won't. I I have no idea how this goes. But I just want to say that after we finish recording, I will be thinking of you, sir, because um, you are, as soon as this is done, you're going in to do uh, a surgery on on one of your hand on one of your hands and uh yes i'll be thinking of you as that happens <laughs> thanks bud yeah this is a this is a first for the pod <laughs> record the pod and then go right to the hospital um but yeah i got to are you, are, what could you tell everyone what happened yeah kind of a weird thing in a way i mean I, i'd had a physical last month and you know like just a typical year-end type of physical and mentioned my doctor showed her an issue with my hand she she sent me to she didn't seem that concerned about it but referred me to a specialist. And then I went on Friday and the guy's like, oh yeah, we're going to need to operate on that Monday. So essentially I have a, a bit of a blockage in, in my right hand and, and it could affect the use of my fingers if it was left there for too long. So they got to take care of that today. And it's a first for me. It's funny. Like I was actually thinking for all the time, my career I've spent Speaking with athletes about, you know, their recoveries from ailments, injuries, surgeries, I've never actually had one myself. So quite fortunate to have been gone this far without it. So, but this will all be brand new and be put under a general anesthetic and um, no, you'll notice no coffee with this morning's pod because I'm fasting right now uh, in anticipation of that. And uh, hopefully everything will be just fine uh, after the surgery. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for, too, uh, in all seriousness. Uh, just knocking on the wood and uh, just hoping for you. Uh, I'm glad you're, you're you're showing some good humor about it, because uh, I, I can imagine for you not having coffee is uh, that must be pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't mind one. Um, I had to get up this morning to get or my run ready. So, you know, oh, you got your running. Oh, yeah. Streak's still going, bud. Good thing this it's isn't like, what, like a surgery. thousand days. Nine eighty five, nine eighty five today, so we're getting close to a thousand. But uh, okay, great. Who knows? Like the surgery throws a little bit of a curveball, and I don't know how I'm going to feel tomorrow. But I, I know this: if it was foot surgery, the streak would be over. But the fact it's a hand, I should be able to to work around that. I would think. I don't. I don't really know what the week's going to look like. like. I don't know how much pain I'll be in. If I'll be on pain medication, uh, so we'll be day to day for Thursday's show and see uh, see where we end up. Yeah, so uh, everyone who watches or listens to this episode, uh, be on the lookout on social media later this week for an update about Thursday's edition of the CJ show. And it's because it's very important that CJ is at 100%. So if he can't go on the Thursday, uh, we will just postpone it to another time and we'll just come back on Monday or we'll figure something out. But uh, the most important thing is that CJ is at 100%. And uh, again, buddy, thinking of you as you go through surgery today. I appreciate um, it. I'm wondering what it's going to be like on yeah. the other side of this. I mean, you're a writer. I'm I'm a writer in my other job. I mean, I don't know if I'm going to be doing the chicken scratch typing for a couple of weeks or what, because oh, 
I'm gonna have I'm gonna have I'm gonna have a cast on these two fingers, uh, my pinky finger and my ring finger on my right hand. So I, it's gonna be gonna be some challenges doing the job. But uh, voice to text, you can't write with voice to text. You couldn't write a story like you're gonna dictate a lead. No, I mean I don't know. I mean I can't think of any better. phoning his lead into the office. Joe DiMaggio had two home runs today. Is false going eight years ago? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, are you are you are you crazy about voice to text? You don't seem like a guy who's crazy about voice to text. I'm not worried about texting. I'm more thinking about like writing a story. Right. No. Well, I mean, not like texting. I mean, like, I mean, I don't know. Like, if you're trying to go through the rigors of writing an entire article, and I don't know how how long does it take for you to write an article. Well, it depends what the story is, right? I'm I'm not on okay, the I fast. Guess fair. I'm not on the fast side of those in our profession. Like I marvel at some of the the people. I mean, I you know I was I did a lot of deadline writing over the years, meaning filing at the buzzer, um, so I could do that. But uh, I'm a little bit more of a plotter than. Uh, I mean, there's there's a guy named Dave Perkins. He he was a Toronto Star sports columnist. And I covered a lot of golf with them early in my career. And the last putt would be going in. And like five minutes later, he's like, you know, see you at the bar. <laughs> Whatever. Like he's like out. And you'd read his story the next day. And it was always so good. Like he just had, he had like a really unique writing style in his own voice. And he didn't need all the quotes. And I don't know. I always marvel at those that could do it that way because I, I tend to need to sit and think a little bit longer and procrastinate like anyone. So. I'm not the fastest writer as it is, and then now I'm going to be down a few digits, so it's going to be uh, going to be a challenge. You and I are the same. I almost every game I write off of for for the Flames, I'm like the last guy to leave the media room. Like I, I just need that time. I need the how many hours after a game to write something. Like I like it been the CP days. I could file something pretty quick. But like now that I don't have the pressure of filing on that deadline, I just feel so much more relaxed and like I I need that time. I need to procrastinate. So I completely relate with you. Do you know what's funny, though? I found the times when you're under a crunch and the emotion of the moment is kind of propelling you. Sometimes the writing is better. Like sometimes when you have less time to think about it. So maybe you're maybe not quite as methodical or, or you haven't really analyzed the situation as deeply, but sometimes it comes across a little bit better when you, when you're able to convey that emotion or energy. You know, I'm thinking like when you cover a, a team, you know, when I covered team Canada winning the Olympics or something like when you're there in the moment and, and you're under deadline pressure, sometimes you get out of your own way a little bit more, I find, but you can't recreate that every day of the season or every day that like, it's not always there, but when it's there, it can, can be a help on the writing side. I, I agree. I don't know about you, but it just feels like, I'm trying to think of a better example, but like sometimes if you just like I'll go through a moment where something just happens like in a game and it's just so obvious what the story is or you go down and like someone says something and you're like, holy crap, like that's it. And then like that's when you're just like, all right, boom. And and you, if you talk about getting out of your own way, I totally feel you because at that point, you're just like, F it. Like this is the story. This is what's going in. And you're not necessarily like hampered by, you know, oh, I got this block where I'm not sure I should write for this graph or I don't know how to start this story. It just for whatever reason just kind of flows. Are we am I am I on that same track? For sure. And I've never been one who can work ahead. Like I 
I kind of, I use the time I have. I've always worked to my deadline, whatever that deadline is. So it's not always the best. Sometimes now the, the funny, like I file on a different um, schedule now working at North Star Bets than, than I have in the past. And, and quite often I'm filing at like eight in the morning. And so it still means I'll, you know, I'll obviously work on it the night before, but I'll still wake up and finish it usually at, you know, 630 or whatever. Like it just, I just find I need that time. I want to use every available minute you have because something could change or or whatever. But, but I was the same in university and high school. Like I, I, I always got my essays and things in on time, but I, I, I pulled a few all-nighters in university and that kind of thing because I just, I wasn't good at working ahead. Never have been. By the way, um, I hope you don't mind that like the last little while it's kind of expanded from your hand surgery to the, your process. I just think since considering that we get people who sometimes ask you questions about, you know, what advice, like, give me some advice for me to go through journalism school or whatever or or other things. I think there is a section of people who who might find that interesting. I'm sure, you know, it's hard to give advice. That's that's the one thing like I always try when people reach out, but it's, there's not like one path, right? I mean, I think, you know, I, we, we had it actually, it was a question last week, right? I saw it was clipped on Twitter, but you know, I think like just sticking with it and whatever, but it's, there's like the industry is changing so fast. Like I still don't, I'm kind of midway through my career. I view it. Like, I don't know what it's all going to look like. It still feels very much like it could change and evolve quite significantly still yet from what it has. And, you know, when I started my career, I literally was excited to like hold up a physical newspaper with my writing in it. So um, no idea, you know, where it's going. But uh, yeah, I I mean, I'm always fine to share whatever whatever's on your mind, including hand surgery details. (laughs) We're going to need a full I mean, you're going to be under anesthetic, so you might you won't be able to give us the full scope. Just imagine that. So be like, tell us everything that happened. Well, maybe there'll be an update on the SDPN injury report. Yeah, you're gonna be on the injured reserve. Oh, the ten day uh, injured list. Wow, Is ten days sufficient. I hopefully, hopefully it's not sixty days. No, I, I ten should. I, I think it should be fine. Again, I I just don't know how this week will go. But I mean, it's it. The specialist didn't raise any crazy alarms about this. You know, I still have to go under though. I mean, it's it's gonna be. You know, don't text me today and expect a response. Put it that way. No, we'll, we'll we'll make sure you get your rest. Anyway, uh, we got to do uh, sports interaction real quick, and then we got to get through the rest of today's topics. We're going to talk about Connor Bedard. We have a trading pile, uh, some Ask CJ questions, and then uh, we will wrap this baby up. But first, time for sports interaction. You can bet that with David Bastel. Brought to you by Sports Interaction. Get in the action and make a play. 19 plus. Please play responsibly. Welcome to You Can Bet That. Remember to hit up sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN for all of your gaming needs. Uh, when we had David Bastel on last week, he sold us on the idea Steven Stamkos could score uh, two goals against the Winnipeg Jets in order for him to reach milestone goal number 500. Well, he still hasn't done it yet. So his next chance will come on Tuesday against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, another chance against the Vancouver Canucks later this week. Uh, by the way, the game against the Jackets at plus 659, uh, the odds for him to score then, plus 484 against the Vancouver Canucks later this week uh, on the 14th against the St. Louis Blues at plus 452. Uh, I think the best odds right now 
353 against the Edmonton Oilers on January 19th. Uh, Siege, uh, Steven Stamkos, we know how great of a player he is. We still await goal number 500. Well, it's funny that January 19th is the favored day because that's that's still a week and a half. It just feels like a long time for someone this good to go and, and get those two goals. But you're in the weird spot of the streak where, you know, it must be on his mind. You know, he's he's actually gone, you know, quite cold since since mid-December. And, you know, so I don't know how to factor that in. I mean, I, I just look at some of these opponents ahead. I mean, Vancouver, there's a lot of goals going in at both ends. Um, you know, Columbus has obviously had a difficult year. I mean, there's there's should be some opportunities here um, for him to to get this out of the way quickly. And I kind of like the idea. Maybe he gets the last two on the same game. I I don't know which game it'll be, but I, I think especially if you can get one sort of early in a game, and it because it's been a while since he scored, I, I could see that sort of propelling him to get it done. But I. I don't know which game it's going to fall on, so that's not helpful for anyone who might be looking at this prop. But I'll tell you this: I'd be surprised if he got to the January nineteenth and we hadn't already seen him score his five hundredth goal. Yeah, I'd be pretty surprised too. I, I still think Steven Stamkos could probably get it done uh, before that game against the Edmonton Oilers. But uh, hey, if it takes them that long and you happen to bet that game, you uh, you'll probably be pretty happy. Uh, don't forget to check out sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN for all the best odds before game, in-game, and the best props. Sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. Anything crazy catch your eye this weekend in terms of NHL games, NHL results, NHL moments? Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman discussing the possibility of an alligator during the NHL All-Star game in Florida. Yeah, all the above. Can I talk about a Western Hockey League game? Does that, Or even a Western Hockey League trade? Like twenty, I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. twenty-eight yo, draft picks. That yo, um, it was I think ten draft Kamloops picks. Blazers, Kamloops Blazers, the Blazers, and I forget which other team is involved. But like, yeah, the Blazers are hosting the Memorial Cup, so they're they're obviously pushing all the chips in to to try to win that on home ice. Um, but you know what really caught my eye, quite honestly, is Connor Bedard returning to the Regina Pats. Um, playing game against the Calgary Hitmen. And in his first game back from the World Juniors, getting four goals, two of them shorthanded, two assists. He was in on all six goals the Pats scored and had 13 shots on net uh, in the game in case anyone was wondering if maybe he just got lucky or something or just had a, a heated night. And look, this is the way I look at this, is that, of course, any player, and there's, there's so many great players in Canadian junior hockey, if you actually look at the WHL scoring leaders, the top five or six players are all draft eligible. So this is this is a good year for prospects in the Western Hockey League. But he just does this so routinely. That's that's what I think is crazy. Like his last game at the start of December for Regina before he went to the World Junior Camp was a five-point game. You know, we all spent a lot of time talking what he did at the World Junior Tournament where he had a six- and seven-point game during that event. And then he returns and has a six-point game back. I mean, I... I just wonder, quite honestly, and obviously there's so much spotlight on Connor Bedard the last two weeks, but I, I do wonder if if he might even be a little better than what people are expecting. Like I, I think people are still getting their mind around what this is, and and you know because he has sort of a unique set of skills in in the sense that he's not overly big, he's not overly, he's not you know you watch Connor McDavid, you don't have to know anything about hockey. Like that dude is fast. Like how like he he looks like he's playing on a different speed, right? It's like a, a different game. Um, 
And so I think some people maybe have slept on Connor Bedard because he doesn't have one. I mean, his shot is outstanding. Don't get me wrong. And 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 you saw yeah. how many amazing goals he set up in the World Junior Tournament. Like he, I'm I'm not trying to knock him, but he maybe doesn't have that one thing that everyone can sell. But man, the collection and the package of it is pretty special. And you know, dude just left the WHL for a month, came back and torches in his first game. He still got an eight eight point lead in the scoring race. Like crazy. Um, so that's what caught my eye. Quite honestly, I didn't obviously see the game, but the fact that he just walked back, like you can even imagine like the emotions, like it's like going back to school after summer vacation or something. Like, it's like, I, I can't believe he could just step back in and be at that level. That's, that's something. It's like you're, you leave for summer vacation. Sorry. You leave for winter break and you were that dude. You come back from winter break. You are still that dude. There are some people who leave for winter break and you're just like, nah, this dude's a nerd. And then they come back. It's like, oh, this person uh, looks cool. Connor Bedard has been that dude. All right. But you, I would imagine, I would think it was emotionally exhausting, his experience of the World Junior Tournament. And physically, too. I mean, it's a lot of games. He played a lot of minutes. He was he was under you know immense media scrutiny, doing lots of interviews, all that stuff. The, the, the Plus just the, the pressure of trying to win another World Junior's. And then, you know, flying back from Halifax, big, big chunk of the way across the country. I, I don't know. I just, I, I would have expected maybe not him to pop like that right away. But anyway, don't sleep on him. Obviously, we got a lot more time to talk about him and focus on him. And and I'm kind of curious just to see where we go next with Connor Bedard, um, because I, I do think that maybe the wider hockey watching or following public is still just getting their their minds around how good he might be. I, I'm sure scouts and those that are dialed in and work for NHL teams have probably been sensing this for a while, but um, real, real sense of occasion. I feel like this guy has, and, and um, there's, there's sort of an intangible quality that, that, that not all athletes possess. Yeah. I mean, it's not like everybody watches WHL games. I mean, the Regina Pats themselves are not necessarily uh, the sexiest team in the Western hockey league, as I understand. So yeah, I think it's good. Maybe, I mean, could you imagine if the Pats even enter- entertained the idea of trading him? The, the amount of pack, the pet trade package of what that would look like if he were somehow uh, to be moved. Like that would be very interesting. Yeah, I mean, this actually was a topic, a pretty big topic in the WHL this year. You know, Connor Bedard has a, a no trade clause in his contract, uh, which which players, certain players, have the right to earn, and, and doesn't seem as always inclined for trade. The deadline's actually just passing, so I, I think he'll. Remain in Regina would be a surprise to see him move, but yeah, based on some of the the crazy draft pick trades you see in the, in the Canadian Hockey League in general these days, um, you know, I don't know if it's going to be a big big package that goes to Kingston for Shane Wright, you know, um, plus the Zellweger deal and, and Joel Joel Hoffer deal that just happened with Kamloops. I mean, there's there's uh, it, it, I don't even know how you'd quantify what he'd be worth, but uh, you know, I would imagine he'll finish this year year out in Regina. Maybe they can be an underdog team that goes on a run and. And if not, I mean, if his season is done early, I wouldn't be surprised if he was invited to play at the Men's World Championship with NHL players for Team Canada. We've seen that happen in the past. Um, years ago, when I actually covered that event, uh, Jordan Stahl and Jonathan Taves both played on the 2007 Canadian World Championship team before being NHL players. Um, wouldn't wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, that we're getting way ahead of ourselves, but if we saw him and maybe a few other guys play there, um, with the NHLers before they actually get drafted into the NHL. If that happens, though, I'm going to say you called it. 
All right. Well, I mean, it's it's a natural path. There's only so <laughs> many places. There's only so many places for him to play, right? And and the CHL, if if your team doesn't go into the Memorial Cup, the, the season can be over quite early. And so, typically, these guys want to play. Although maybe the rest will do him good too, because he's got a big next year ahead, uh, starting with that draft in late June. Definitely. Let's get to the trading pile. Uh, I love doing the trading pile. This is basically where I ask about a player and I try my absolute best to get Chris Johnston to say something about the radio himself. If he could get traded. Whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't say that. I didn't say all that. Whoa, sir. Would never try to radio you on your own podcast. Seven weeks and a few days till the deadline. Do you know how you're going to celebrate after it's all over? <laughs> no, I haven't got, I haven't planned that far ahead, but I, right. well, I'll mail it in March will be a thing though. Mail it in March. That's what Bob mail McKenzie, it. I think Bob McKenzie coined that term and I love it. Uh, shout out Bob McKenzie. No relation. Uh, let's get to the trading pile. Uh, Bo Horvat. Uh, what are you hearing about him? Well, I mean, look, nothing, nothing's changed in that I don't believe that there's been any contract discussions. But, you know, you start to get your mind around what teams he might go to. I mean, it seems that there's a real fit there with Colorado. Um, yeah, I, I could see that one making sense. I mean, the Avalanche have had such a tough year with injuries. I mean, we don't have to tell uh, producer Drew of our fine network here and the group chat about the kind of year the Avs have had and you know, they got a big win in Edmonton. Now you to talk about exciting games. That was a pretty exciting overtime they played in Edmonton on Saturday. Amazing. Uh, but, but they're straddling the playoff line, right? They're they're not definitively in. I I don't have any reason to believe they won't get there and put on a you know a second half push if they need one um as they get healthier. But you know, I think that there's there's gonna be some you know, some focus on the front office to get something done. And so you know, I think the top teams really I mean Look, Bo Horvat might be the best rental player available at the deadline. I mean, maybe you might sell me on Timo Meyer from San Jose. Um, you know, but when we talk about the, the year Horvat's having, so I could see Boston. You know, Toronto is going to be in on a forward. I wonder if if he makes some sense for them. Um, but you know, I, I don't think anything's really. We're still at the point where everything's taking shape. Like like even last week, and the Leafs actually had their pro scouting meetings. They had their scouts down in, in Philadelphia for a couple of days and then watch their team's game there on Sunday night. Um, I know a few other teams are in the process of having their scouting meetings. And so that's really the meetings where all the scouts get in the room with the the senior brass and, and the, everyone unloads their files on the players that are available. They, they help sort of like narrow in on targets. And then typically there's more live viewings from like really specific targeted live viewings, you know, as the manager talks to the other team's manager before a trade's made. So I think that's kind of where we're at. I think we're we're in the the press box watching season, Julian. It's going to be like tweeting which scouts or which GMs, which AGMs are uh, are, are at games and trying to piece it all together. And I just mentioned the Leafs there because one of the Ask CJ questions was about Dubis and uh, Dave Morrison, the Leafs director, player personnel being at a game in Philadelphia on last Thursday against Arizona. I don't think that you know. Stand down on any rumors specific to that, because I think uh, that was more just about them being in, in the city and having their, their their scouting meetings there. What do you think about, uh, like, when you see about a tweet, like an example like that, or 
uh, these 12 scouts happen to be in the building for Montreal, Philadelphia. Like, what do you think about when you see that kind of stuff floating around? I think it's got to be a little more nuanced, right? Like there's 12 scouts at any given Montreal game, more or less, or Toronto game. I mean, certainly if you think about a scout's job, I mean, part of it is just logistics. They're trying to see as many games that make sense for them in, in a window as possible. And if you come through the corridor that includes, you know, Montreal, Ottawa, Toronto, you've got Buffalo close by, you've got American Hockey League teams in Toronto, Belleville, Laval. Uh, so there's an opportunity to see a lot of games if you spend time here. And so I think to say that, 12 scouts were at a game or 22 scouts. That doesn't really tell you a whole lot. I think, you know, watching where, uh, you know, where GMs crop up in places that don't make sense at this time can maybe be a bit telling. I mean, the truth is, is a lot of it's noise, but that occasionally it's not right. And, and it's hard. You, you can never know. I know that this actually, some people I talk to that work in front offices find it entertaining to see like, you know, our colleagues tweeting out those lists. Others are rankled by it and they're just like, it's nonsense. It's just scout scouting, doing their jobs. I know of at least one executive though, Julian, who has intentionally gone to random games, you know, in the lead up to the deadline to try to throw people out the scent. So like, <laughs> yes, I so always wondered. I, I always wondered. So like, here's it's somewhere in the middle, right? There's not a, there's not a, a pretty answer here because the truth is sometimes like, you know, I'm not going to reveal, but some people I've been sp speaking to in the last few days already that work for teams are out specifically watching certain players because they're they're real targets for their team. And so, like, that is happening. It's just hard to know. Like, sometimes a guy's just at a game because he's in the city, kind of like the Leafs example, right? They, their, their team was playing in Philly, so they had their scouting meetings in Philly. There was a game before their game in Philly, and they went to it. Like, I mean, sometimes, you know, you're – it's we don't always know that the scouts don't have to tell you why they're at every game. So, or, or GMs or AGMs or what, what have you. So it's, it's a bit of a cat and mouse kind of game. And so I, I think it's not that helpful if you're just tweeting a random list. The other thing too, like, I don't know if you, you've found this or paid attention in Calgary now that you moved there, but the same scouts tend to, the same group of scouts tend to be at the same games, usually because they live nearby or what have you. So it's more like if people show up that aren't normally there from a certain team and, or, and, and especially if they're senior people, I think that that starts to at least maybe go like, Hey, there might be something here. Um, but then the truth is, is maybe like, maybe the GM has a kid that goes to university in Calgary and, and they're like visiting their kid and just at the game. Cause you know, like that's, that's the hard part. That's the impossible thing to know. And usually if you ask them, they're not going to tell you exactly why they're there because this is this is a time where everyone's trying to keep the cards close to the vest. Like this, do you know, this is how I'll sum up the fun of the deadline is that there's so much talking going on. There is a lot of information changing hands and therefore there's a lot more information circulating and rumors getting to people like you and I. But, you know, it's also a time where the people that are at the center of those decisions want to try to have as little get out as possible. That is very well said and super insightful. And I love the fact that some exec out there is purposefully going to games to throw everyone off. Yes, chaos exists. I've been waiting for that. Uh, <laughs> um, what about... It's uh, kind of weird, we talk though. More? It is, it's like, hilarious. Uh, it's I remember, hilarious. I mean, way back when, like when, when the Leafs traded for Dion Phaneuf, Brian Burke yes. went, went to Calgary, but he bought a ticket. And like, I don't know if he wore some sort of disguise or a hat or what have you, but he he was scouting from the seats 
because you know they wanted to get live looks at him before making a big deal but like that's so that happens too um where you just try to blend in and be in the building but it's hard because the, those lists i mean in pretty much every building i can think of they're just they're just you walk into the press box you got to find your seat everyone's names on a list including scouts and executives and media people so anyway it's a it's a fun game i i don't if i don't mind net- i don't mind when our colleagues do it i don't i don't think it's bad but it doesn't always tell you what you think it tells you if you sat next to Brian Burke at an NHL game, possibly before Dion Phaneuf was traded, please tweet at both of us on Twitter. <laughs> uh, there are a few other names I want to get through quickly before we get to ask CJ questions. Uh, Matthias Ekholm in Nashville. Yeah, the Predators are an interesting spot. They've actually won a couple games in the last week, and maybe they will be a little bit, you know, maybe a team that we put in sort of an in-the-middle um, position. But, you know, this year has not gone well. Uh not not to their expectations anyway to this point and you know matthias ekholm's name is out there um you know ryan mcdonough's name has been out there a little bit i believe he has a no trade clause so you know anything that would or could happen would would you know have to involve him having a say in that uh but you know i think that that's a reflection kind of of the the year that the preds have had is that they have to look at those kind of changes i mean ekholm's brand new in a in a in a contract that that he just signed extension last year and and you know mcdonough's case they traded for him from tampa in the offseason and, and he had to waive his no trade clause then to, to go to nashville so um you know I, these aren't players you know it's hard to get your mind around the market like i, I don't know because those aren't rentals right like those aren't the obvious type of players that will move like i'm pretty confident when we talk about a horvat moving or even someone like Vladislav Gavrikov in, in Columbus, because he's he's a rental player, his, his cap hit isn't too big, and, and he's a player that the teams like. You know, th- these are potentially more hockey-like trades, but it, it is notable when you have two veterans that have had the careers that that McDonough and Ekholm have had, that their names are at least circulating as possibilities there for teams looking for, for an upgrade on their blue line. All right. Uh, what about Ryan O'Reilly, who we discussed last week? It seems like there's been more. It's funny. Nothing's happened since last week. He's, you know, he's still out injured and and will be for, you know, weeks to come. But, you know, I'm starting to hear his name a little bit more. I think there's been more trade discussion and focus on him from, you know, from teams looking for an upgrade at their center position. And I think you can, you can understand it. I mean, you know, Ryan O'Reilly, he's, he's at that, he's at that difficult spot in his career where he is on the other side of 30 and so whatever his next extension looks like, whether that would sign in St. Louis on the open market on July 1st, um, maybe with the team that, that trades for him potentially before the deadline, we'll see. Uh, you know, I still think he's going to want a pretty big contract. He was having a tough year, you know, production wise this season was, you know, things haven't gone great in St. Louis, but you look at the track record, you look at the the history of helping teams get over the top and being a very responsible player all over the ice in his own zone and and in the offensive zone. I think he's pretty appealing. And so it, I, I can't tell you yet where he's going. I, I don't think it's got to that point, but it, it does seem as though there's, there's at least more discussion about him um, and what might happen. And, and, you know, realistically a trade probably doesn't happen until he's healthy, you know, so that the team acquiring him has a clear view of his, his medical picture. So you, you, that takes you into February, but you know, I, I do think that those discussions have, started to kick up a little bit and, and teams inquiring on what it, what it might take to, to get him from St. Louis, because, you know, Horvat's younger and, and it's going to probably cost more. I would assume Timo Meyer out of San Jose, as I mentioned, but you, he might be the third forward you, you might put in that list. Um, 
in terms of can make a difference and is, is a rental. And so I, I think he'll be a pretty attractive deadline commodity, despite the injuries currently recovering from. Not to mention he has that Stanley Cup pedigree to him as well. Yeah, that never hurts, does it? It's funny. You just got to win it once and you you get you get branded with that in, in a good way. Exactly. Um, to Montreal, uh, Joel Edmondson is a name we've mentioned before. Uh, we will also lump in uh, David Savard as well. Uh, those two defensemen uh, potentially available. Yeah, I think Edmondson is the more likely of the two. You know, certainly there's been some interest and conversations on him. I mean, he's another player. He's got a year beyond this one on his contract. So it doesn't have to happen at this deadline. It doesn't guarantee it's going to happen at this deadline. But I think, you know, when, when you look at what teams usually trade for, when it comes to defensemen at the trade deadline, like it's usually more character, meat and potatoes, nuts and bolts types of D-men. Like it, I would say Joel Edmondson fits into that profile. Um, you know, Eric Carlson's also available in San Jose. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons that that's going to be a tough trade to make, but like that sort of defenseman who can be a star and who can, you know, play your, on your top power play unit usually doesn't move because usually the teams that, that feel like they're close to winning, they, they have someone in that spot. Right. And so, you know, I think that the Edmonton situation will be, will be one to, to keep watching closely. I do think that there's, there's a lot of potential interest there. We'll see maybe Edmonton could be a team, you know, with, so there's no secret to Oilers are looking for a left shot defenseman. Um, there's, there's a number of options on the market. I think that's probably a good thing if you're in the Oilers front office, but um, you know, maybe it's someone like at Edmondson. So yeah. And you know, Montreal seems like they want to, or they're open to doing business sooner than later. It's just a matter of the market, not really taking shape yet. You know, Sean Monahan's a player at forward too, that, that I would expect there'll be interest on. Unfortunately, he's been out injured since December and has about two weeks left. Uh, on his recovery timetable right now. But, you know, I think it could be a pretty active few weeks in Montreal, as as we saw last year in a lot of ways. Ken Hughes, um, you know, turned some players into futures, and I, I think that they're going to want to do the same. You know, last year it was Lekkanen and, and Tyler Toffoli and the like. And, you know, I, I, could, see, I could see a similar trend picking up uh, course here once the trading action starts. And so, yeah, with regards to Edmondson, but maybe more Savard, is there any other tidbit with him or it's just kind of in the same boat with Edmondson? I know no, I'd say his name the, is circulating a bit. I, I don't know that Montreal feels they have to move him. I think, you know, what's interesting about the Canadians, right? When you get a new management group, it's it's not like everyone's being traded, but it's almost as though everyone, there's there's some degree of discussion that can be had on virtually anyone. I mean, I think we know they're not trading Nick Suzuki or Cole Caulfield, but what I mean is that the older players on the roster, even those with some term on their contract, I think management has to look at, you know, what those players might bring back. I mean, that that's, that's what you had in the Toffoli deal, right? They, they, they traded, wasn't one, wasn't someone on an expiring deal, but they, they don't have the loyalty maybe to the players. Cause you know, David Savard is, is, um, you know, pretty newly gone there as a free agent, but it was under the previous regime. Uh, Mark Bergerman was a GM when he was signed. And so, you know, I, 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 I can't say that he's going to be moved, but I, I do think that there's certainly his name's one that's been whispered out there in the in the rumor mill. Last one. Um, I actually didn't put a particular name for this one because we've mentioned two names uh, from this team already, uh, that being Patrick Kane and Jonathan Tays. And when we were trying to figure out who we should put in the trading pile, you didn't really give a name. You were just kind of like, you should ask me about some other guys on Chicago. So I just have... Chicago on the well, list today. 
I think it's, it's so it's nowhere near as big a name as the the two headliners on the team. Uh, but, you know, Jake McCabe is a player on their blue line that if you look at the results this year, and, and I don't have the up-to-date numbers, but they're, essentially they're, they're a positive goal differential team when he's on the ice, and they are a huge minus when he's not. And, and he's, you know, made a pretty big impact in a positive way in a difficult season in Chicago. And, and, you know, I, I think that he's someone that we could see moved, you know, it's sort of, I'm not saying the same players, Joel Edmondson, but the same rationale applies here. It, it obviously it's not a frontline defender, but would, would improve a lot of teams that already have, you know, pretty good decors and, and, you know, the Blackhawks don't feel as though they have to move him. They, you know, he's got a couple more years on his deal, but uh, you know, his, his name has kind of been, been out there too working its way through and look there's there's a lot of quite a number of defensemen right i mean we're not even going to get them all today but there's you know we, we still haven't got the john klingberg um you know who's who's on expiring deal in anaheim i think cam fowler's name in anaheim could could make some sense to some i mean there's there's a lot of of moving targets and, and i i think it's actually a pretty strong um year for for those that are looking for help on on defense it's just you know, the question that we always get back to is who can make the cap room to to bring in these guys. And I think that that's going to be an issue, quite honestly. I mean, we don't know yet if Patrick Kane or Jonathan Taves want to move on. But even if they do, it's it's not the, the biggest slam dunk that it's going to be easy, you know, especially now Kane out injured uh, and and the, the cap hits those guys have. Like, it's it's not I know you can run them through a third team and involve other assets, but it's it's not an easy thing to to pull off. And. So, you know, that's kind of where we're at. It feels like the trade markets are still a little bit frozen. Well, we have seven more weeks to go. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see some of that. Uh, I, wonder if my, I wonder if my hand will be fully rehabbed when, by the time the deadline gets here. That's a good question. I, I think they said it would be like eight weeks of exercises for the rehab. So, What exercises would you have to do? I don't know. I basically have to relearn how to use those two fingers. So I don't. Oh my god! I I don't know. Like I don't know how. I mean, it doesn't sound pleasant. I don't know how tedious or hard it's going to be or painful. I don't really know. They haven't and they haven't given me the exercise yet because, you know, the surgery's not done. Unless you're listening to this on Monday night or Tuesday, then the surgery is done, and uh, hopefully everything's <laughs> fine. <laughs> uh, if you listen to this, if you're listening to this podcast, please just tweet, just well wishes to CJ. Please, please just do that. Okay, let's get to ask CJ. Think you know what way it's going to go? Make your bet at Sports Interaction. Whatever your sport, Sports Interaction has you covered pregame, live betting on all major sports, and prop bets. Want to bet? Head to sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. 19 and over. Please play responsibly. Uh, This is the uh, great segment we do every week where we get in questions from you guys, whether on Twitter or on Discord. Um, Speaking of the trade market, uh, Justin Snow wants to know, if uh, this year's trade deadline, or at least with uh, the lead up to it, is making it seem as if it is a buyer's market, do you feel it is the case? It might be a buyer's market. I think it's a little too soon to say with any confidence or certainty. But the one reason I think it could be a buyer's market is is because there's just not a lot of teams that are motivated buyers with cap space. So, you know, even if you have appealing players, like I look at this, this, um, the amount like the players that are available and, and there's, there's some big names. Uh, it's too bad. Actually, I was going to do my, my big board this week of, of trade deadline targets that are available. Um, 
but that'll be pushed back because of the, the surgery. But anyway, it'll be coming out soon. I've started working on it anyway. And like, there's, you know, there's, there's big names when you go through Horvat, Meyer, you know, Ryan O'Reilly, Tarasenko, Kane, Taves, Eric Carlson, you know, even guys like Max Domi, like, like these are, these are players that have been around the league a while that have some profile, but there's, you know, James Van Riemsdyk, another one, but just, I, I just don't see a world where they could all be moved because I don't see the cap space being out there. And so even if you're selling a, a player with a great past, even having a great season with a big shiny name, I, I just, I, I do think it's going to end up being a buyer's market because the buyers are only going to be able to buy so much for one. I mean, if you're a buyer, like most teams that are really good, I'll look at, talk about the Maple Leafs just because they're in my backyard here. Like they're, they're probably going to get one main piece, right? Uh, it's not to say there won't be multiple trades. I'm sure they'll try to improve in every small way they can, but it's going to be one main acquisition. I would think with the cap space they have barring some kind of major injury between now and the deadline. And so you have to decide if you're them, what is that, that thing? I'm sure that's the kind of discussion that's being had when they have a, a pro scouting meeting. I mean, the Oilers are in the same spot that they're going to find this left shot defenseman. I mean, there's not a lot of money left over to go buying other things in the aisle. And so I could see it becoming a buyer's market. I think on top of that, most teams aren't going to want to be trading first round picks. Maybe you'll see a couple change hands at this deadline, but um, you know, by and large teams are looking at this draft because it goes much deeper than Bedard in terms of enticing talent and not, not necessarily wanting to sacrifice their first round or at this deadline. And so, you know, that's usually the, that's usually the measure of a deadline. If it's buyer sellers, how many first round picks change hands? If it's, if it's a lot, it that's, that meant that it was a seller's market. And if it's very few, that's a buyer's market. By the way, lost in all that. Uh, one main piece for the Leafs. One main piece for the Leafs. That's what CJ said. Seven weeks, though. Like, there's a lot of games between then and now. The, the injuries, like, lots of things can happen that change that. But I, I just think looking at their cap space, that though, again, I would expect multiple moves. If you look at the last number of deadlines, they made all kinds of smaller trades. Um, but like, it was, it's one main move is, is, ultimately what it'll be okay how about this one from uh robert kenny on twitter uh, what the heck is going on with jacob Vrana and the detroit red wings we didn't get to that on last thursday's show because he was already on waivers and we didn't want to talk about it to the point where you know we talk about stuff and then he clears and we don't know if it gets claimed or whatever so this is our first time talking about it yeah i mean i would suggest that his time there looks to be limited at this point in time um, you know, but it's been a hard season. Look, and and the reason this happened now is the Red Wings, um, you know, have players getting healthy. They they've wel- welcomed Robbie Fabry back after his third ACL surgery. Uh, good for him for for working his way back. I mean, a lot of players would be discouraged facing three recoveries as long as those ones. Um, and they have Tyler Bertuzzi coming back shortly. So, you know, they had a roster issue and and decided that, you know, there was other players, of course, they could have exposed to waivers or sent down that were waiver exempt. But, you know, they decided Brana was the odd man out. I, I was still a bit surprised given everything that he cleared um, because he's still 26 years old. And if you look at his five on five uh, scoring rates in, in the seasons previous to this one, I know he's he hasn't played much this year. He was spent some time in the in the player assistance program, but. I mean, to me, that's a pretty enticing free um, asset, especially for some of maybe the teams that aren't trying to win right now, like that have the cap space. But, you know, that being said, he still remains in Grand Rapids. He was assigned formally to the American Hockey League after clearing waivers 
I believe the Red Wings would trade him and retain some salary or maybe take back another player to help make that work. And so, you know, he'll be one of the names on, on my big board when it's formally released, because I, I think, uh, you know, the writing's on the wall there that it's, it's, it's likely the organization will be ready to move on from him. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised to see him, you know, obviously I hope he's in a good place personally, um, you know, after that, that time in the player assistance program, but you know, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised to see him be back and be a productive NHL or somewhere else down the road. From uh, JD LaGrange, how do you see the odds of the Florida Panthers making the playoffs, trading their unprotected first to the Habs could prove to be very, very costly? Extremely costly. Come on. There's no way to sell this in a good way. I mean, the, the, the Canadian, the, the Panthers odds are long right now to make the playoffs. I mean, they put themselves in a difficult spot. They, they have no cap room to, to really go out and try to augment the team. We've got Anthony declare coming back, which is good news of course, after, you know, being out with Achilles injury, but you know, they still have to make the room to activate them from LTIR. So they, they're, they're between a rock and a hard place and they, they can't even look at, um, you know, their draft position and go, well, at least we're going to get something out of this last year. And so, I would suggest the Canadians front office is probably watching their results closely and you know, that that's, that's going to end up being a pretty good pick, uh, you know, at, at worst, I guess it's what 16th and could be better. You know, teams, teams can win the lottery, move up 10 spots. They, they could still just miss the playoffs and move up to like the six or seven pick. So, um, you know, it's not how, what the Panthers would have envisioned while winning the president's trophy last year and going all in at the deadline trading, both of, you know, a couple first at last year's deadline um, and not protecting it lottery wise will be one that we look back on and say, Ooh, tough decision. I mean, it's similar to the same thing happened to San Jose when they, they dealt a unprotected first to Ottawa for Eric Carlson. And that, that turned into a high pick. Actually, Ottawa did it to Colorado for Matt Duchesne and that turned into a high pick. So, you know, there is some precedent for, for this, but it's uh, can't be a, a comfortable situation for the Panthers front office. Last one for you uh, from No Hope Kids. A question for the show. In sports media, what is the difference between a sports journalist, investigative journalist, insider, writer, analyst, and whatnot? Like, what is the difference between a Rick Westhead, an Elliot Friedman, and a Sean McIndoe? I didn't know we'd make a Sean McIndoe reference on the CJ show. Uh, yeah, they just kind of want to know a difference between all the different jobs, in, uh, particularly in hockey media. Well, it depends what, what value you place in a title, right? Like, I think you can kind of assume any title you want. I mean, generally what you're highlighting there, though, is is we all have different skill sets uh, and different sort of areas of interest within a pretty broad industry. And, you know, I remember in journalism school, they explained it to us this way, that that some people are really strong at gathering or breaking news, but some people just are really good writers. And if you can try to blend those two. Like if you can be a strong writer and someone, excuse me, who, who breaks news, um, you know, that that's, that's a pretty powerful thing. I, I think when I look at my industry, you know, I'm not going to go through and say this person doesn't write that well, but they break lots of, but there's, you know, there's lots of different things. And then, so the investigative piece is, is different. I mean, a sports reporter typically is someone who goes to games and, and, you know, covers the, the events of those games. Investigative reporters are doing much digger deeping deeper dives getting all tongue twisted um you know and, and rick westhead i would say generally for the course of his business doesn't go to games um but he spends a lot of time in the courts and and you know 
really unearthing documents um, that that have led to some massive stories. So his job is technically the same. His back, you know, I actually don't know Rick's exact back background in terms of schooling and everything, but some of it's driven by the bosses you have, maybe the jobs you apply for. You know, I'd say the insider job is far more clear cut. It's you're just trying to get news and nuggets out every day. You're, you're chasing, you're chasing the story of the day every day. There's always something, right? Someone got hurt last night. You're trying to figure out what the injury is, or maybe there's a dangerous hit. You're trying to get ahead on the suspension, or maybe you're, charting trades and, and, and sort of, you know, again, day-to-day -day news that drives the league. Um, you know, sports reporters are generally, they're kind of generalists. They can, they can write profiles on athletes. They can do some analysis on game results. Um, you know, do exclusive interviews. Like I, I find, you know, the beat job similar to what Julian's doing for the flames is it's a little bit everything, right? Uh, it's, it's human stories, it's hockey stories. Uh, it's, you know, something serious could happen at a game you're covering. All of a sudden it's like a, a true news kind of event. Like you have to be able to do a little bit of everything. You write obituaries from time to time. Like it's, it's, it takes a lot of different skills. Uh, whereas some of the others are more uh, focused. Anyway, I, I feel like I maybe didn't give the clearest answer there, but it, the, the best way to kind of think about it is there's, we all have different skill sets and there's, there's a lot of different ways to be relevant in sports media too. Um, some people are the finest writers you've ever read. Some people just break more news and keep you informed that way. And, uh, I try to, to do a little bit of everything and Jack of all trades, master of none kind of vibe. You do a great job of being a Jack of all trades, sir. And that's going to do it for ask CJ on this fine Monday. As we wrap up, uh, the CJ show again, uh, we will update you, uh, as soon as we can about a Thursday show, uh, siege, good luck in surgery uh keep us posted and remember we want you at 100 percent, buddy don't don't try to don't try to be a hero and play on 50 percent if you need the time yeah i'll be i'll be honest with you about that I, I don't really know what to expect of course so you it's a new life experience this hand will look a little different next time you see it and um but everything's going to be good just uh, lucky to live in a country in a place where i can get the the care i need Exactly. Uh, send your well wishes to Chris uh, on Twitter at reporter Chris, or you can leave them in the comments in the comments of this video. Uh, I don't know when the last time CJ checked Discord is, but uh, you can do that on Discord as well. I don't know if we can get like a channel going. We can send some well wishes your way, but uh, yeah, you you deserve the well wishes. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate the support, and uh, I'm I'm gonna plan on doing this Thursday. I think we'll all be fine by then, and we'll be on to, to whatever's going on in hockey then. All right, we'll keep everyone posted on that. For Siege, I'm Julian. So long and peace. The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction. Want to bet? Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at Reporter Chris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie. The Chris Johnston Show.